Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Thank you. Well, you're probably wondering, and if you aren't, then you must be asleep. What on earth is going on here? You can see all these tables around the parameter of the room. And um, at the end of our time together this morning, we're going to ask you, please, to go to one of those tables because what we'd like for all of us to be part of is a smaller more intimate setting where we can get to know people and be known by people and truly experience the the tenderness of what I would call real fellowship, not just church attendance on a Sunday. So we are relaunching our life groups and have been doing for a little while now, and we've got all kinds of resources in place for that. And uh, my passion would be to see everybody connected in some way to a small group. I think it's so important in a world where we get lost in the crowd that we are remembered and seen and cared for and looked after and involved and invested in Christian community. For without Christian community, we are taking our cues for all matters pertaining to life from other resources. And it's only when the people of God are joined together in, in, in worship and in prayer and in fellowship that we can expect the presence of God to come. And it says, those who dwell together in unity, in those environments, the Lord commands. What does He command? What? I can't hear you. A blessing. And that blessing is so much more than just a feeling. That blessing is the fullness of God's reality. And um, I think small groups for me have always been the greatest place on earth that I know where we can truly, really experience God in such an intimate and beautiful way. So at the end of my chat, hopefully I'll have persuaded you to uh, sign up or at least inquire about that. But if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want you to go quickly to the book of Acts. And I want to walk you through the book of Acts as, as best as I know how to show you the extraordinary growth of the New Testament church. And also, more profoundly, to show you how God had this strategy in place where people could be cared for and helped and encouraged and discipled and made free And that particular context, as you probably will know, was in small groups as well as large settings. In Acts chapter 1, are we in Acts chapter 1? I wonder if we can get this up on the screen. Let's look at the very tender beginnings of what became a phenomenal move of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Peter stood up amongst the believers... And it identifies the numerical size of this group. It says a group numbering about 120. Now this particular context is in the upper room and it's the day before Pentecost. And we know that they are starting, the church started with about 120 people. That doesn't seem like a huge number of people, does it? When you look at that and you think about Jesus' ministry, three years on this earth and all the miracles and all the signs and all the wonderful things that the disciples and the crowd witnessed, the, the persecution against the Christian at this time, the difficulties of trying to walk with Jesus reduced all of that. Remember, even in one particular moment, on one particular day, 5,000 people found themselves impacted by the greatness and the blessing and the fullness of God. And there were many of those experiences, but all of that has been whittled down to 120 people. That's not a great start, is it? But it seems to be enough for God. It seems to be satisfactory 
to God. Now turn over to Acts chapter 2 for me, please. Because things don't say small. And I just want to speak to that for a moment. I think we have been so used in the Western church to experiencing church in, in its smallness. And there's something great about that. I think, you know, obviously we're at that point as a church now. I think last Sunday we were near nearly 400 people strong again. And that's been a while. You know, that's great. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, dear God. But, you know, we're at that point now where we don't know people well. And there are lots of new people that are joining us. You might want to tell your face, that's good news. That's good news. And coming out of a pandemic, okay, what's happening amongst us is unusual. Because a lot of churches are struggling to get people to come back. And we do have elements of people who are probably already deciding that they're not going to rejoin us. But actually in this hour, God is adding to us on a weekly basis. And we are very, very privileged that people who come to visit us so often decide to stay amongst us. And our services are starting to get a little bit more, you know, fuller and getting to know one another becomes a little bit more trickier. And some of us think, well, you know, I'm happy with the way it is, Pastor. I like to be able to acknowledge people. But, you know, the church is not just about your needs. As good as that can be, the church is about God's dream. And God's dream is that he wants to fill the earth with his glory. Whatever your particular persuasion or perspective on that is, it really has to become a subordinate truth to the greater truth that God desires to fill the earth with his glory. Now, I'm trying to help you readjust in your mind because what you're about to see is actually quite mind-blowing because overnight, <laughs> the church went from 120 people to over 3,000 people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we arrived here next week And we had 3,000 people. What would we do with them? I think some of you would leave because you couldn't get a space in the car park. <laughs> some of you would be upset because you didn't get your regular seat. I mean, Jesus might have to come back really quick if you're not sitting where you usually sit. But now let's look at Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, verse 41, it says, if we can get this up too, John, that would be great. Thank you. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000, say 3,000 for me out loud, just to keep you awake, 3,000, I don't know if you can get your head around those numbers, I can't, 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a problem to have. What an absolute massive difficulty to have to face. But you know, it didn't stop there. Why? Because the kingdom of God is advancing. And church, the kingdom of God's always advancing. It advanced on Thursday, as, or Friday, whatever, I can't get the days mixed up. It must have been Thursday. It's advancing all the time. God is consistently seeking and desiring to bring people into relationship with him. The kingdom of God is advancing. Okay. 
So overnight they became a, a megachurch. No building, no real leadership in place, no particularly clear strategy. I mean, can you imagine Peter on the day of Pentecost? He'd never preached publicly before. Imagine that, Pastor Vic, your very first sermon, and 3,000 men, not counting women and children, were added to the church. I tell you what, I'd write a book, I'd go on telly, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you make the most of that? They didn't have time to think. They didn't know what to do. But God always had a strategy. Now go to Acts chapter 2 again, verse 47. Because it doesn't stop there. It says in Acts 2, 47, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we've got 120 Overnight, it's gone to 3,000. <laughs> and now, there's a consistent and persistent flow of the Spirit as people on a daily basis are coming to know Jesus. People are experiencing God on a daily basis, and it's a phenomenon. Now, if you were to work out the sums, that's at least 365 people if there's only one person a day. But the Bible doesn't speak of it being just one person. It says, and the number People were added to their number on a daily basis. Now go to Acts chapter 4 for me. If we can sense anything about the heart of God, we'll recognize as we track through these scriptures that small may be really important for us, and we'll come to that again at the end. But God has an expansive dream for humanity. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, look what it says. It says that the number of men grew to 5,000. 5,000. That's bigger than a take that concert, isn't it? 5,000 people. Now, if you have 5,000 men... You probably have women and children too, would you think? So we're talking now probably around the sum of about 10,000 people. <laughs> 10,000 people. Wow. Nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the kingdom of heaven apart from you and me. I can get in the way of it. So by now, we've probably got about 15,000 people worshipping in Jerusalem. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Now go to chapter 5 for me. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, so even though all of that's happening, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and a multitude, and the word that's used there is plethos, it's a Greek word, were added to their number. How do you know when you have a multitude? You can't count them. It's not a bad week, this, is it? Of course we know this is over a period of time. But a multitude, so many... And in spite of all of their efforts and attempts to try and keep track of people, 
they can't count them. And now quickly turn over to Acts chapter 5 for me, please. Verse 28. And these are the critics of the church. And they say this is their, their kind of allegation or accusation to the church. And you have... You have filled Jerusalem with your people. Now, if you were in power <laughs> or had any level of authority or influence in this city, would you be worried? If you were given any sense of, you know, title or entitlement and had some kind of kudos in that kind of culture or in that society, would you be a little concerned? Of course you would. Now Jerusalem around this time, and uh, these are guesstimates, you can't really fully engage with the figures, they're a little bit vague, but we're talking a city of about 200 to 250,000 people. And the church by now is around 100,000 people. I'll just let that sit for a minute, if that's okay. So wherever you turn in the city, <laughs> there's somebody who's worshiping God. Whatever industry... <laughs> that takes place, whatever commerce that takes place, whatever political sphere or environment, whether it be the emperor's house or wherever, some of the servants, some of the people, even some of the leaders in those environments had, through the power of the work of the Holy Spirit, received Christ as their Lord and Savior. There was a spiritual epidemic in Jerusalem and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people, were being infected by the love of God. How does that make you feel? Apart from half asleep, how does it make you feel? My question to you as we stop at that moment, just in the historical facts around here, is do you think that maybe God had a more expansive vision for His church? than even the people understood or realized? Do you think that when the 120 met in the upper room, frightened for their lives and unsure about everything that took place, do you think God had to do a journey with them as individuals to help them understand the expansive reality of what He wanted to achieve? I think that must have taken place. I think God is a tender-hearted God and He would work with people to help them understand the great, great vision he has for the earth, and that is to fill it with his glory. Now, look at Acts chapter 6 for me, please. In the New King James Version, it says, Now, in these days, when the numbers of disciples were multiplying, so what's happening now is they're moving from addition to multiplication, Okay, and it's not possible, therefore, to actually keep track of the figures and the statistics. Now, if I was part of the early church leadership team, 
I would be really, really concerned. Wouldn't you? Why are you so quiet today? What's wrong with you? What's wrong? <laughs> this is good news. This is good news. It's good news. So we had 120. We had 3,000 added. We had at least 365 per year. We had 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And this exponential growth is taking place. And now it's moving just beyond addition to multiplication. Turn to Acts chapter 6 for me, please. And verse 7. And this is the testimony of all that God is doing in this area. It says, Then the word of the Lord spread... And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And look now what's happening. And a great many of the priests, okay, and that would be the Pharisees and the scribes, a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to faith. Now, if I was in political power, whether I was a Jew or a Roman, I would be highly highly concerned about how Christians were taking over and infiltrating every part of that particular culture. Go to Acts chapter 21 for me, please, because it doesn't end there. In Acts chapter 21, verse 20, please, John, It says, and when they heard this, they glorified the Lord. You know, whenever I told you all of these numbers and all of that, that would have been a really good response. <laughs> we, we feel, I think, paralyzed by this kind of thinking. Would you say that's fair? It just feels too good to be true or absolutely beyond anything we could ever imagine God doing. But this is the early church. Now, I don't wish to be rude, but if that's the baby church, if that's the infant church, if that's the starting point, what will the end time harvest look like? Come on, somebody glorify God. What will the end time harvest look like? We will not not ever be able to understand what God in his heart desires to do. But we will see with our eyes, we will see with our eyes, we will be able to testify and glorify God. And they heard this and they glorified the Lord. They weren't paralyzed. <laughs> and they said to him, <laughs> you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are zealous for the Lord. So what is a myriad? Tens of thousands. It comes from the Greek word myriads, which literally means too numerous to be counted. How exciting. So we have rapid exponential growth in the church. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of these great things are happening in the city of Jerusalem. This is even before God begins to send people out across the earth. I have a quick question for you. It's just a, a quick one. Do you think he could do that again? Yes. <laughs> do you think he wants to? Yes. Do you think maybe it's his will? Yes. What's holding it up? I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean for you to have a bad day. I'm just... <laughs> It's probably the conclusion I arrive with my life. I see you move. You move a mountain. And I believe. I see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. I believe. I see you do it again. See, we sing it. But do we believe it? And can I just say with the greatest respect to whatever we think church is about, or what it could, or what it should be, and everyone has their own perspective or opinion. The heart of God has always been, will always be, and could never stop being, to see everyone come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you take a little look above the precipice of your own difficulties and problems, you will notice, as I have noticed in these last few weeks, it's a very tender thing for me, that the fields are ripe unto harvest. There are so many needy people in our world today, and no one, no one is answering the questions of their heart. How could they? Because the only person who can make sense of it all is Jesus Christ. We are living in the most exceptional times. The pandemic was the devil's way of trying to stop the glory of God from taking impact and effect upon the earth. And he's taken people out of the church as a result of that. But there are many, countless tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who, without really realizing or recognizing it, are looking for hope. They're looking for a place, a space, a truth to build their lives upon. The fields are ripe unto harvest. And God's passion is not that we have a few hundred people in a church building, okay? That's a very small part of a very large picture. God wants, and let's take our own geography here, God wants to flood Birmingham. From the north, where's the north? Erdington. Where's the north? Sutton Coldfield. Is that even Birmingham, Sutton Coldfield? <laughs> is, it, is it Birmingham? I thought it was a, a separate borough. Isn't it the Royal Borough of Sutton Coldfield? It's still Birmingham. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Help me with my geography. Where is the West? Hales Owen? Wolverhampton, all the way out to Wolverhampton. And the East? Warwick? Leicester? Vic, I love your vision, man. That's, I thought these were independent towns in their own right. Oh, you're talking West Midlands, are you? Yeah. And the south would be Worcester. Well, just above Worcester. Bromsgrove. Yeah? Wow. Sarah welcome to the world of God. His expansive world where all things are possible to those who... Yeah, and there lies, I think, the part we need lots of help with.
God's desire is to flood the earth, to see everyone and anyone. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's not confined by this building or defined by our paradigm of what is or isn't, how it should look. And the kingdom of heaven, I'm letting you know, I'm saying this to you prophetically with tenderness. God is pressing this to me. The kingdom of heaven is expanding. And so I have to align my heart with that expansion and say, God, this is going to be really interesting. What I mean by that is this is going to be hard. Because I have a very small paradigm, but you are the God of the universe. What do you want to do? What do you long to do in the city of Birmingham? Now, you won't know this, and perhaps maybe some of you do, but actually in Birmingham, Elim has its strongest representation. I think there are over 40 churches around this geography, around the Midlands geography. It was considered for George Jeffries, who was the pioneer and planter of all these churches, or many of them, the Bible Belt. Have you ever thought of Birmingham as being the Bible Belt? <laughs> the Bible Belt, all across the, the Midlands, so many glorious expressions of the kingdom exploded and all kinds of people came to faith. Did you know that when we started in the city, when Elim started in the city, Bingley Hall wasn't big enough to contain what God was doing? And, and um, I don't think for one second when, we, when these guys started out, they had this vision to plant churches. I think that became a byproduct of the revival experiences that people were having. And people would queue around the block for hours in the freezing cold and rain to get inside these buildings. We'll probably be doing that this winter, won't we? To get inside a building. <laughs> Suddenly you'll take an interest in the library. <laughs> Queuing around the block. <laughs> to get in because what God was doing was so phenomenal, people didn't want to miss it. And I understand that BCC was probably the first church that was planted here. It was called Graham Street back then. And in its infancy, it was somewhere around 500 people all who came out of that revival. I see you move. <laughs> and I believe, I believe, with a small b, I believe God can do that again. And I believe that God wants to do that again. I think it was always his intention to flood every city. Not because we have a denomination, but we have we have a commission, and that is to go into all the world and flood it with the goodness of God. So, I think that's God's dream. My hope is that in time we'll catch that. And today we're starting this conversation. This will go on for a month now. Not the same bits, but around this. What will this look like, and how can we contain what God is doing? So how did they do that in the New Testament? Well, I think this is a really important question. How do you get New Testament growth? Absolutely, and by New Testament methodology. So what was their methodology? Go to Acts chapter 5 for me. Where did all of these people go? How did this work on a practical basis? Acts 5 verse 42 says, They met day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, 
and they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they met day to day in the temple courts. You know that they're not saying that they met in the temple, because if you know anything about uh, Judaistic uh, religious um, ideologies, the temple was, uh, you know, a very select place for just the priests, and then the inner um, sanctuary was for the great high priest. So it's, we're not talking about them coming together in, you know, this massive auditorium, but um, having visited Jerusalem um, about three, four years ago, I realized that all around the temple are these other kind of courts, outer courts. And so the disciples, tens and tens of thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them, were meeting in these outer courts. Notice it says they met in the temple courts, not the temple court. All around the temple, can you imagine at the hub of Judaistic truth and reality, you've got these born-again, spirit-filled, baptized, tongue-speaking warriors. All around the hierarchical structures of the Sanhedrin, you've got the move of the Holy Spirit. And these were like slaves and, and Gentiles and people from all kinds of places, Ethiopians and all kinds of people, all gathered together, surrounding, <laughs> surrounding the Holy of Holies with the power and the blessing of the people of God filled to overflowing with this Holy Spirit. And so that probably happened on a daily basis. And if you ever go to Jerusalem, you see that that would be able to make sense now. That would be able to contain that amount of people and probably a little bit more. And uh, I was shocked to see people gathering. You know, if you ever go to the temple, they, ha they have a discipleship program that exists as part of the, the, the priesthood and going into, you know, um, the ministry there. And you see all these young men sitting with older men with these big gray beards and they're walking through uh, the Septuagint, walking through uh, their scriptures, just trying to pass on the information and disciple individuals. But it wasn't just about the big gatherings. Where else did they meet? House to house. House to house. Now, there's a huge debate, isn't there, in the church? Maybe you're aware of it, but as a leader, it's something I've come across a number of times, and we even touched on it a little bit. Should we really be about the big gathering? Should the church be about the big gathering? And some people say yes. It's about gathering God's people to a location and a space to give glory to God. There's another train of thought that says, no, it's not about the attractional gathered place. It's about the missional context. And so we don't want this big, big mega church. What we want is small groups of people all around the city actually being missional and intentional and incarnational in the way that they live. But as you can clearly see from the scriptures, we don't have to make a choice. What we can see from the scriptures is that both are important. That God wants the big expression of vibrant Christianity present in a city that are going to hell without God saving and restoring them to relationship with Him. He wants churches that are so big they stop the traffic. He wants that. He wants the powers of our city 
to be a little unsettled <laughs> by the fact that there's a body of people that are so passionate about Jesus, they will cross the city to a location to worship God in spirit and in truth. The same dynamics politically, economically, sociologically that many in Jerusalem were struggling with, God wants to do it again. And why not us? Why not the church in Birmingham? We don't have to choose between attractional or missional because the strategy of the New Testament is both. And so over these last few months with you, I've been trying a little bit, you probably didn't think it was uh, happening, to make us as a community a little bit more attractional. Now let me talk to that for a second. What I mean by that is not convenience. Okay, because I know some people want drive-through church. If it's longer than 15 minutes, we're out of here. Okay, and if you could give me a coffee as I'm coming through and save me stopping, that would be good. Make it a nice one, I pray. What is attractional about the church? It's time. It's the house of God where the presence of God moves. That's what's attractional about the church. Where else on the earth is there ever going to be a space or a place other than in the church where the presence of God is honored, where we make room and space for God to move? I'm just speaking into the atmosphere things you need to know. This has not been accidental. So when I say attraction, I don't mean lights. Do you know the most attractive thing in the city of, of Glasgow that we discovered, in spite of the desperate, desperate state of people's lives, people came three hours up the motorway so they could sit at the back of the church and experience the love of God the Father. We had people in Glasgow that came from all over Scotland to our meetings. Our church wasn't just a city church. Can I just inform you that that's the passion of God. And the thing that attracts people the most is not our slick music or our very short sermons, because I know we all like them. What we want is homilies. You should try the Church of England. They're no longer than 10 minutes. But is the presence of God there? Is God moving in power? I have no reason to be difficult about this, but I will never apologize for making my greatest priority in our gatherings our encounter with Jesus. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing that marks the church out from every other organization. So we're attractional, and you can see that it's attracting. But what we're not quite yet is missional. And where best to do mission? On the streets preaching? That would be good. In our context, in our workplaces, that would be great. But the best place I've ever seen mission done is in small groups. I have seen hundreds of people come to know Jesus through small groups. They met in the temple. They gathered to the place of encounter where the power of God was evident but they also took that power into their context, into their geography, and they opened their home, and more importantly, they opened their heart, and they said, God, come here. 
come amongst us here. And people were added to their number on a daily basis. Wow. Who knew God had a strategy to win a city? So, thank you for listening to me. But around the corner of this room, we have asked a whole bunch of people. They've kindly offered their homes, their hearts, and their lives to serve this vision. And we're going to ask you, if you could, please, to go to your places. Now, find some kind of desk, life group leaders, some table to sit at. I think you need a pen. If we could do that as quickly as we can, that'd be great. And before you run off to your chicken dinner or your chicken tikka or whatever it is you're having today for lunch, why don't you go and have a chat with some of these people and say, it's great that we have this great expansive thing that God is doing, but I'd like to give my time and my attention to what could happen in someone's home. It might even be yours. Now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord's favor rest upon you, is what I'm saying. In Jesus' name. Thank you.